This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It happened 22 years ago. My wife and I received a telephone call about 8 a.m. in the morning on September 11th, 2001. You've got to turn your television on. And so we did and were met like the rest of America and the world with the horror of the World Trade Center towers being attacked openly, directly, and notoriously by 19 Islamic renegades, most of them from Saudi Arabia. So why is it that we're playing footsie with Saudi Arabia today? Why is it there's such an intense effort to ingratiate ourselves even further to Saudi Arabia today, knowing that they have not been a friend to grace, so to speak, here in America. There are so many things that have happened as a result of the attack on the World Trade Center towers on 9-11, and we're going to talk about those here today on Viewpoint. You say, well, we've already talked about those things ad nauseum, and we don't want to hear more about that. Well, I understand that. I really do understand that. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at things a little differently than what you might customarily hear out there on the regular news media. Whether or not it's MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, or whatever it is that you get your information, today on Viewpoint is likely to be different in significant ways. So I hope you'll stay tuned, friends, because we're going to approach this legacy the enduring legacy of 9-11, and it is not a pretty picture. No, 9-11 was not a pretty picture, and there were things that happened after a 9-11 that made the appearance that things were going to get better, that every day and in every way after that, that things were going to get better, and the world was going to become an amazing engine of peace, as George W. Bush told us, and he was going to save the world through democracy. That's right. He was going to save the world through democracy. That was the new engine of faith for the world, coming from the United States of America from a man who the evangelical community had touted as a great evangelical Christian. So why then did that very same man, within a day or two after the attacks on the World Trade Center Tower, declare Islam to be a peaceful religion? And then why did he agree within a day, a week or so that Muslims, Jews, and Christians all worship the same God? And why then, within two weeks or so, did he declare that all religions worship the same God? Were you aware of those things? Most Christians were not aware of them, and their evangelical Leaders were unwilling to admit those things. In fact, I had a conversation at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention the, uh, that very year, I believe it was, the next, the next year, and met with one of the premier broadcasters uh, in America, revered, reputed to be one of the greatest, involved in one of the uh, breakout groups at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. So I talked to that person privately, and I said, 
How is it that you can continue to tout George W. Bush in the way that you do as the great Christian savior of America and the world when you yourself know that he declared Muslims, Christians, and Jews to be all worshiping the same God and that all religions that worship the same God? Would you care to know what the answer was? The answer was, well, he's not the pastor-in-chief, he's just the commander-in-chief. He's not the theologian-in-chief, he's just the commander-in-chief. Now, wait a minute. If he is indeed what you're saying that he is, and he is the premier speaker at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, being touted with glory and honor as the great Christian leader of the West, How is it that we do not recognize that he does not even embrace the most fundamental principle of the Christian faith, what would qualify one to be a Christian, and that is believing that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They weren't willing to come to grips with that because they had to have a savior, a political savior in the camp that they could rally behind. And indeed we have. And that's why we've ended up in many respects where we are today with a level of religious pluralism, multiculturalism, and political correctness that didn't exist to this level before 9-11. And that's a legacy that few are willing to attribute to 9-11. But we're going to look at many other things here on Viewpoint today, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. I'm sure that you were shocked, as I was, as my family was, and everybody around us. Absolutely, we watched in horror as the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, left nearly 3,000 people dead in New York, in Washington, D.C., in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, And nearly 20 years later, they were watching in sorrow as the nation's military mission in Afghanistan, which began less than a month after 9-11, and because of 9-11, came to a bloody and chaotic conclusion as our current putative president decided to exercise a pursuit of pride to get his name on the historical ledger that He was the one that took everybody out of Afghanistan rather than to follow the wisdom of his military advisors. That they cannot take everybody out. They were going to have to leave a stabilizing force in Afghanistan. No, we're not going to do that. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be known as the guy that took everybody out. Well, he he is known as the guy now. But what is he known for? I'll leave that up to your imagination. The enduring power of the September 11th attacks is very clear in many respects. A review as U.S. public opinion in the two decades since 9-11 reveals how a badly shaken nation came together, at least briefly, in a spirit of sadness and patriotism, how the public initially rallied behind the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, how Americans viewed the threat of terrorism at home and the steps the government took to combat it. Fear was rampant in the country. And fear, my friends, the Bible tells us, has torment. So the people were tormented. 
And that torment led them to do things both positive and profoundly negative. And we've been paying the price ever since. So as the country comes to grips with the tumultuous exit of U.S. military forces from Afghanistan, that departure has raised long-term questions about U.S. foreign policy and America's place in the world. So today on Viewpoint, our focus is not on just what's happening in America. Our focus is on how 9-11 changed the world. That's right. Change the world and set the stage for the end of history. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Just to let you in briefly on the trajectory of 9-11 and its effect on our world, let me just indicate this, that the events of the attack, the Muslim attack on the World Trade Center towers was a precursor, a harbinger of what the book of Daniel tells us is going to happen in the end of the age. It's setting up certain people groups, either politically or religiously or both, that are ultimately going to be the final antagonists in the final battles of world history. And that stage was set on 9-11. George W. Bush unwittingly helped to set that stage by deceiving the American people and the world with regard to his view of Islam. He didn't know what he was talking about, and he deceived the world in the process. He wanted so bad to make everything peaceful, so he went to the mosque and declared Islam to be a religion of peace and broadcast that throughout the world. He knew nothing about Islam, knew nothing about the Quran or the Hadiths that demand Islam to rule the world under Sharia law. And the world chose to adopt his viewpoint, which was 100% inaccurate. So the the examination now of how the United States changed in two decades following 9-11 began with the terrorist attacks, obviously. Those terrorist attacks inflicted a devastating emotional toll on Americans. We know that because you and I uh, felt that emotional toll. It was almost impossible not to. Americans then moved from being uh, emotionally troubled to be enraged by the attacks. There was all kinds of psychological stress 
People felt it. It unified the people in many respects. Fear was widespread. And as I said earlier, fear has torment. That's what the Bible tells us. If we're motivated primarily by fear, we cannot be motivated by faith. And so faith took short, became, uh, took short shrifts, so to speak, in face of fear. And yet initially there appeared to be a movement toward trusting God and people flooding back to church. Because current concerns over terrorism remained at high levels. By the following August, half of U.S. adults said the country had changed in a major way, a number that actually increased to 61% 10 years after the event, that the country had changed in a major way. Well, if the country had changed in a major way, the world also had uh, changed in a major way. 9-11, those attacks, catapulted the world dramatically toward the end of the age. Fifteen years after the 9-11 attack, the Pew Research people discovered found that the public saw it as one of the top historical events of all time. And the importance of 9-11 transcended age, gender, geographic, even political differences. More than 7 in 10 Republicans and Democrats named the attacks as one of their top historic 10 historic uh, events. So, It's kind of difficult to think of an event that could so profoundly transform the United States public opinion across so many dimensions as the 9-11 attacks. These are distilled analyses from the Pew Research Center in their article, Two Decades Later, The Enduring Legacy of 9-11. Patriotic sentiment, sirs, you remember all of the yellow ribbons being placed around on trees and all over the country. Patriotism. Whatever happened to patriotism today? You see what I'm talking about? It was very short-lived. 79% of adults said they displayed an American flag. It's very hard to find the American flag displayed even by our cities today. Why? Because patriotism has become uncool. Why? We need to ask ourselves, why? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. We lost the sight of that which bound us together. What really bound us together was not our response to 9-11. What really bound us together is what was at the foundation of the country. It was the spirit of the Lord and the fear of the Lord that had united us from the get-go, and we abandoned it. We abandoned it in favor of a false salvation message. As George W. Bush preached it around the world and here in the United States, we're going to spread democracy to save the world. And now, that so-called democratic salvation has turned much of the world against the United States of America. We lost our mojo, so to speak, but our mojo 
was not Americanism. Our mojo was not democracy in and of itself. It was more fundamental than that. It went to the very heart of we the people. So, we have a profound change that took place in America. Americans also turned to religion, said the Pew Research Center, and faith in large numbers. In the days and weeks after 9-11, most Americans said they were praying more often. In November of 2001, 78% said religion's influence in American life was increasing. More than double the share who said that eight months earlier, and like public trust in the federal government, the highest level in four decades. Hmm. But what happened? America's news magazines and Christian writers and so on were saying America was now finally undergoing the spiritual revival that we have been praying for. Did you know that? That's exactly what they said. But it only lasted for about three or four months. And then we were back to business as usual. In fact, more secular than ever. The 9-11 event actually catapulted America into a far more deeply secular nation than it had been previously. And it was already becoming very secular. But 9-11 did a number on America. Its legacy is not loving. It's lamentable. And we've never recovered. And we need to see how it happened, why it happened, because you and I, you see, as professing followers of Jesus Christ, are we have to know and discern the times. If we do not, we will be deceived in the context of these times, and we won't even know what hit us. And most don't. What's happened in our culture, the culture wars have been catapulted far more deeply into, shall we say, the anti-Christ abyss since 9-11. While it appeared that we were becoming more religious or more Christian or whatever uh, for several months following the 9-11 attacks, when the initial fear and apprehension began to wane, People went their own way. And they threw away that which had bound us together, that which Alexis de Tocqueville had said bound this nation together back in the 1830s and 1831 in his book, Democracy in America. He said it's not that everybody in the nation is a Christian, but that the Bible, the Word of God, absolutely rules the country that everybody accept it as the guiding rule and force for life in America. That was abandoned. Because if George, Bush, George W. Bush was right, and Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God, but they all believe radically different things, and Muslims believed that Christianity was a blasphemous religion, that Jesus was not crucified, that he never died, that he never rose again, and to just say so and to embrace the cross was absolute blasphemy worthy of death. 
And yet George W. Bush said, we're all worshiping the same God. And so we began to buy into a false narrative, so to speak, that all religions basically were the same. And we're all going to end up the same place, the same way. No. But that's what was believed. And then even among Christians, by 1995, April 5th, 1995, Time magazine analyzed the situation and said, Americans have been flooding back to church. They were still flooding back to church by April 5th, 1995. But they said, America, church will never again be the same. Because Time Magazine, a secular news magazine that has become so liberal now that it's hardly even worth paying 10 cents for, let alone $5. They said that the reason church would never again be the same is because Americans were worshiping a custom-made God, one made in their own image. In other words... By 1995, we had recreated God, re-described him, and George W. Bush had made it easy to do that. Whether you want to attribute to him the sole responsibility for it, which I do not, but he was a catalytic agent to make it possible, declaring that all religions worship the same God. It is one of the most profound legacies of the 9-11 attack that we have today, and nobody will talk about it. They can't bring themselves to talk about it. Democrats can't talk about it because they're not interested in religion. Republicans and Christians can't talk about it because they don't want to let go of their embrace of George W. Bush as the great... uh, religious white father, so to speak, to save the world and America from the enemy. Yes, George W. Bush did some good things, and this is not a total diatribe against George W. Bush. But quite frankly, he wasn't the person that religious leaders, Christians, portrayed him to be. They wanted too badly to have another Savior. And this is what you get. A false salvation. Now, in the days and weeks following 9-11, Americans overwhelmingly supported military action against those responsible for the attacks. To retaliate against whoever was responsible for the terrorist attacks, even if that meant U.S. armed forces might suffer thousands of casualties. In other words, we wanted somebody to go get them. Retaliation? Vengeance? Whatever you want to call it. The public, though, by the time Osama bin Laden, Laden was killed, His death and the public reaction to it was more like a sense of relief rather than jubilation. And a month later, for the first time, a majority of Americans said that the U.S. forces should be brought home as soon as possible from Afghanistan. 
And there was a similar trajectory in public attitudes toward a much more expansive conflict that was part of what Bush termed the War on Terror. You remember that, the War on Terror. What was the effect of the War on Terror? Well, it was to protect America, American citizens, from terrorism. But what was the net effect of it? The net effect of it was to sacrifice freedom for safety. So that became the new normal. We used to think that freedom could not be sacrificed. But 9-11 brought us to the point where we were willing to sacrifice freedom for safety. Where are we today in that regard? You wonder what's happened with government? There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, today we're looking at the legacy, the enduring legacy of 9-11, and uh, it's necessary that we do so so that we do not forget the lessons that could have been learned, should have been learned, if we had had our eyes open and our trust in the right place. The problem is, we didn't. And so we look to government as our savior. Isn't that, hasn't that been the theme ever since? Looking to government increasingly as our savior, whether it has to do with uh, military action, whether it has to do with economics, whether it has to do with medicine, in every area, in every area, the effect or legacy of 9-11 has caused us to be willing to sacrifice liberty and freedom on the altar of a government-promised safety. So where are we in that regard? Has government brought about that kind of safety? No. Look what happened, the debacle of the COVID-19 and the so-called jabs and so on that were not vaccines at all, that the government had lied to us over and over and over again, so much so that the CDC had to even give a new definition, create a new definition for vaccine because they knew they lied about it and that they were not vaccines at all because a vaccine would have done two things. Number one, would have prevented you from getting the disease and second, would have prevented you from transmitting the disease 
and the jabs did neither of those by the admission of the CDC. So government deceived us. In the name of saving us, the government deceived us. Have we seen that in other areas, economics and so on? How about 2008, where we put too much trust in the government with regard to economics, and it ended up being a massive, massive recession that catapulted our nation, what is it, something like six, seven, eight trillion dollars more in debt through Barack Obama? Mm-hmm. That's what happened. When you cast your trust on government and you have placed so much trust in your government, you give absolute authority to the Fed. And Fed doesn't stand for faith expressed in democracy. It's talking about the power of government to ostensibly save you. Majority of both Republicans and Democrats have consistently ranked terrorism as a top priority over the past two decades. In recent years, the share of Americans who point to terrorism as a major national problem, though, has declined sharply. Oh, but we're still under the threat from our own government that superimposed upon all of us the restrictions of freedom. Why do you think you have to go through the labyrinthine efforts to be searched to go on an airplane? Even today, why do you think so? And all the other things that have curtailed our ability even to travel and to be identified. It continues and echoes on and on and on. We were willing to sacrifice freedom on the promise of protection or safety. The problem is, as someone has said, if you're willing to sacrifice freedom for safety, you deserve neither freedom nor safety. Freedom isn't free. So now, we have actually given the CIA more power and the FBI more power so that the FBI now is used to look at America's elections and those that they don't like as terrorists, and then to look at America's families as terrorists, and then to look at Christian organizations as terrorists, and to label them accordingly and send in spying henchmen into the churches and so on, and take photographs of people's license plates out in parking lots to identify the individuals who are going to church or participating in a particular event, and now to pursue parents as terrorists. All of this happened because of 9-11, friends. It didn't just happen. We gave government the power And when you give government that kind of power, they're going to take more and more. 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And those are the legacies of 9-11. Most people drew the line against allowing government to monitor their own emails and phone calls, but they're doing it anyway. It was clear that from the public's perspective, said the Pew Research Center, the balance between protecting civil liberties and protecting the country from terrorism had shifted. Shifted where? In favor of protection rather than liberty. It was necessary for the average citizen to give up some civil liberties. Now we've given up more and more, and that is our premier battle. Our premier battle is not on the terrorists from outside. It's on the terrorists in the name of government, insurgents on the inside. Give them, a, give them an inch, and they take a mile. And then again, while the view of Islam, you would think, being attacked by 19 Islamic renegades from Saudi Arabia, basically shouting, Allah Akbar, God is the greatest, you would think it would have diminished the favor of the Western world toward Islam. But instead it had just the opposite effect, so that Islam... And the immigration of Muslims in France, in Germany, in Belgium, in Sweden, is so overwhelming those European countries that it's on the edge of destroying them. They're self-destructing. And Barack Hussein Obama filled the United States government and positions of power and authority with known practicing Muslims who were dedicated to the rule of Sharia law in the world. And the American people elected him not just once or twice. How could such a thing have happened? May I suggest to you, it's not that difficult to understand. Because we embraced a Republican president actually laid grease the skids for that with his announcement that Islam was a nation, was a, a religion of peace, and that all religions, including Muslim, Islam, Jews, and Christians, all worship the same God. Well, if that be true, then what does it matter if we bring in people of all different religions into the government. Our founders never believed that. Our founders believed just the opposite. Just the opposite. We don't have time to go into the depths of what they actually believe, but I'm telling you, they believed vigorously just the opposite. So now we're experiencing the rulership of political correctness, multiculturalism, and religious pluralism as the unholy trinity or gospel of 
a secular world that is taking over the rulership of America and the entire Western world. In fact, that spirit, friends, please listen carefully, that spirit is preparing the way for the Antichrist. The merger of these Western nations, the resurrecting Roman Empire, no friend to Christianity, now is preparing the way for the one world Western world order. And interestingly, it is also precipitating other nations and groups to form other independent groups. And all of this has been precipitated, I believe, by 9-11 and our response to it. Now, you might want to consider getting a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Uh, it's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage handling. Also, the book, King of the Mountain. Now, here's what's interesting, in case you haven't heard it. For the month of September, and September only, we are making our books available. If you look on the website, you'll find virtually almost all of them, if not all of them, uh, available to you for your gift of $10 to Save America Ministries. $10. Somebody today, I believe, purchased like uh, eight or nine books. $10 a piece. You'll never find a better deal than that. We're doing that to get the message out because time is running very, very short, friends. And uh, I hope you'll avail yourself of it for each additional book. It's only $2 per book or close to after the initial $5. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. We're taking a look at the amazing legacy of 9-11 And it isn't uh, just what you normally would think about. And we're unveiling that here today on Viewpoint for our consideration. Because, as the scripture says, the curse causeless shall not come. And what we're experiencing 
uh, over the past uh, 22 years is the gradual deterioration of liberty, freedom, the gradual deterioration of faith, the increase of chaos in our country and in the world, the exaltation of uh, multiculturalism, religious pluralism, with the conviction that there is absolutely no difference between uh, any different culture, any different people, uh, any different religions. They're all the same, and therefore we should blend them all together in a nice little loving stew, and that is what is going to lay the foundation, prepare the way for the coming of the Antichrist and the New World Order. That's exactly how it's going to happen, and it is happening right in front of us, and it was catapulted down the prophetic track by the 9-11 attacks. Now, before we go further, I want to just mention this. Some of you are aware that we've had some problems over the past couple of weeks with our levels, and being on the level, so to speak, uh, we have done gone to great lengths to try to find out what that problem is. We have gone to the satellite agency repeatedly. We have gone to the uh, oneplace.com where so many people listen. Uh, We've had our own equipment gone through and researched and discovered that that is not where the problem is. So uh, we have discovered that some of our programs in the last several days have come through loud and clear, while at least one of them did not. And why is that? We're exploring why that might be. I want you to know that we're not laying down on the job. This is very concerning to us. And we appreciate those of you that have let us know when a program did not come through as clearly as it should have. Now, that having been said, I want to, I need to let you know that over the past year or so, donations to Save America Ministries and the Viewpoint Radio Broadcast has diminished so that every, almost every month, we're going in the red. Now, the only reason we're not going in the red is because a number of years ago, one listener from outside the country gave a very significant donation, which is enabling us to survive for a period of time, not going forward, not increasing uh, the stations that we can offer the program on or any other thing. We can't do that. Don't have the resources. But it's enabled us to survive, but we can't do that forever. So, we don't rely upon... Any big company, any advertising, because the moment you rely on advertising, they begin to control what you can say and don't say. Just look at the history of American so-called conservative broadcasting and how people have been cast out because of what they said. We don't do that. I would rather keep it limited and trust the Lord to work upon the mind and heart of his people than I would to try to build a big organization 
and compromise. Not willing to do that. God didn't call us to build a big organization. He called us to disciple people, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour, not to play games with them, not to build our personal reputation, not to walk in pride and braggadocia in the name of Christ. We don't do that. That's not what we're about. Now, if you have been listening to this program for a while, and you believe that what we're doing here is worthy, important, necessary, and is strengthening you in your walk, and you feel it's something that you would tell other people about as well, we appreciate that. Do that. But we also need your financial support. We're not trusting you. We're trusting God. And he's the one that's trusting you. We're just trusting God. We're not putting pressure on you. We're just telling you what the situation is so that you understand. And that we trust you to hear from the Lord if indeed you're one that he would have to be involved as a partner with us and give. It's as simple as that. Just wanted to let you know. Because if you didn't know, you would have no way of knowing. And you would think somebody else is doing it, which they're not. All right. We're going to move forward here just uh, very quickly. So I think you would probably agree with the statistic of a recent survey that 93% of Americans aged 30 and above say they can remember exactly where they were or what they were doing the moment they learned of the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. In fact, during the past six decades, only the Kennedy assassination had such a pervasive and enduring impact, and I remember exactly where I was. I was in college. As I re- it was my freshman year. I was on campus, and I remember... That's where I heard of the assassination of JFK. These are major events. But they have significance in our minds, in our hearts, our lives, not just for our nation, but for the world. And today what we're looking at is not just the effect of the 9-11 situation on our nation and on us individually and our families, but on the whole world. And it is having and has had a major effect on our world. Now, interestingly, the key operational planner of the September 11th attacks was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Now, that name should have come across your attention in the last uh, several weeks. He became active in the Muslim Brotherhood, which he joined at age 16, And then he went to the United States to attend college and received a degree from North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University in 1986. After that, he traveled to Pakistan and there and then Afghanistan to wage jihad against the Soviet Union, which had launched an invasion against Afghanistan in 1979. Russia pulled out. Then in 1996, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed met bin Laden in Tora Bora, Afghanistan. 
is explained that then that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed presented a proposal for an operation that would involve training pilots who would crash planes into buildings in the United States. That was his great dream. So that's what happened. The September 11th plot demonstrated that Al-Qaeda was an organization of global reach. The plot played out across the globe with planning meetings in Malaysia, operatives taking flight lessons in the United States, coordination by plot leaders based in Hamburg, Germany, money transfers from Dubai, and recruitment of suicide operators from countries around the Middle East. All activities were ultimately overseen by Al-Qaeda's leaders in Afghanistan. It was a worldwide enterprise, and it has had worldwide effect. That's why we're talking about it here today. The hijackers, most of whom were from Saudi Arabia, established themselves in the United States, many well in advance of the attacks. They traveled in small groups, and some of them received commercial flight training. Then, we go back, and we take a look at this fellow, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Where has he been? In Gitmo. Ah. Now, why is that significant right now? Because the United States government has done nothing to bring him to justice. And now, Joseph Biden the putative president of the United States through his administration is declaring they're working out some sort of a a deal with him to let him off the hook and not try him at all. What's going on? Does America not even have the temerity to deal with someone who has wreaked such intentional devastation and havoc, not only on our country, but the entire world? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of the Muslim world? Really? I thought that supposedly, ostensibly, our government was here to protect us from terrorism. Now we can't even deal with bringing the key terrorist to justice. What does that say about us? What does it say about us to the world? What does it say about us to the rest of the world that wants to, that despises us, claiming that as a result of the 9-11 event, we became an imperialist nation seeking to control and rule the world to democracy? Are we setting ourselves up for profound weakness? That's exactly what uh, Osama bin Laden thought of the United States at the end of the 1980s or 1990s. That is what precipitated their belief that they could attack the United States with temerity for its impact and effect, not just on the country, but on the whole world. He thought that we were a paper tiger. Are we? Are we? 
And where is our trust anyway? Having abandoned the God who made and preserved us a nation at almost every point and playing games with him, refusing to obey his will, what other catastrophes are we potentially facing that God might use to bring corrective judgment on a nation that has abandoned its fear of the Lord. Just asking, what do you say? I appreciate your joining us here on Viewpoint today. We don't hesitate to bring up and talk about things that really matter, even though nobody else might be doing it. Our purpose is to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour, which means we have to understand the times, and we have to understand why things are the way they are so that we will not be caught up with the deceptive arguments and presentations that are going on in our world that make us think things other than the way they really are. Appreciate you joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Go to the website, saveus.org. You can sign up for a monthly uh, automatic donation there. You can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries. We're so grateful for those. There are some who have been faithful for decades. And we are so, so grateful. You have enabled us to continue to press on. We are so grateful. Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, King of the Mountain. Those two books will help you to understand the globalist expansion that is taking place, much because of the 9-11 attacks. Be back with you tomorrow. Lord willing, the creek don't rise, friends. Pray for the future of our country and Christians everywhere. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.